Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you once again. It is the first Monday of the month, which means it is Request Monday, and we're doing uh, one of my all-time favorite bands and one of yours as well, Sabotage, and we're doing Edge of Thorns. But before we get there, bud, how are you? I'm doing quite well. I um, really went down the old Sabotage rabbit hole as predicted and... I guess it's not really all that surprising, but uh, it's always nice to kind of remind myself how much I really do love this band. It's sometimes it's kind of hard to believe that they haven't done anything in like 20 years um, as far as releasing new material goes. Uh, so, yeah, it looks like we might have a, uh, a new tradition of covering a Sabotage album in December every year. I, I think so. We did. We did Dead Winter Dead last year. Uh, we're doing another Zach uh, album this year by request. I, I think next year uh, we'd be uh, remiss not to do a classic John Oliva disc just because, you know, work our way backwards a little bit. But I'll tell you, w- with these guys, no matter how many times I hear them, no matter how much of a break there is in between the months or, y- you know, years that some of these some of the stuff I haven't heard in a while – it never gets old. And I think that that's just a testament to the songwriting and all that, which we'll get to for sure. But um, before we get there, any new stuff this week? I, I, I certainly have uh, a little concert review because I got to go to a show this week, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. But why don't you talk about some of the new stuff you heard? Uh, well, it looks like uh, Hammerfall is has a new album coming out next year called Hammer of Dawn. And they released the, uh, the title track um, and music video. Um, so that was, I I actually have not had a chance to listen to the entire song yet. Um, but the things that I have seen have been, um, have been positive. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. And, uh, also this came across, I think through one of the prog power Facebook groups or, or whatever, but, um, a new band called new horizon has a, a song called we unite, which if you're a fan of just good old fashioned melodic metal, um, there's members from Mustache, Dragon Force, Dynasty, Heat, and Temple Balls, amongst others, making up this this band. Um, and the the first single, uh, "We Unite," is a really fantastic song. Great, uh, great stuff. Not not typically uh, not not unlike uh, Frontiers um, to release you know a band like this. But uh, I was impressed at first listen. Yeah, you, you sent me that track uh, earlier in the week, and I was I was very impressed. I didn't, I hadn't heard of these guys, or I guess I kind of wasn't aware that this quote unquote supergroup was coming together. But uh, job well done. I look forward to hearing the rest. Um, and I haven't heard the Hammerfall either, but needless to say, I'll, I'll check that out um, when we're done. I got to go to a show this week. Um, Swallow the Sun is on tour right now uh, with Abigail Williams and Wilderun which is kind of a unique package. Um, Wilderun obviously is uh, kind of like a progressive death metal band, more progressive than the death metal, but the, the vocals sometimes lend itself to that for sure. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing them on 70,000 Tons. They are a great band, so anytime I get to check them out, um, I try. They only played for about a half an hour, which for them was three tracks, but it was really good to hear, and we got to hear um, the new song Passenger, which we, I think, had mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks back, so that was really cool. Uh, Abigail Williams was a band I had never heard of, um, a U.S. black metal band, and I guess maybe I was feeling it after uh, our episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, quite, quite good for what it is. Not uh, always my go-to, but uh, surprisingly tight for a black metal band. I thought that they uh, put on a pretty decent show. 
and Swallow the Sun, um, a, a band that you kind of have to be in the right mood or the right headspace to listen to. They're a little bit um, uh, melancholy and, and dark, and obviously they, they use a blend of both cleans and, and, and growls. But my God, they put on a really good show, and, and I was surprised at how good of a live performance it was. Um, so I look forward to catching them again. I, I, I have a feeling they will be back in the next couple of years um, for, for other shows and whatnot. So I look forward to catching them. Definitely, definitely a good show and uh, worth, worth seeing uh, if it comes around to your area. I believe um, I believe they're playing here in Rochester at some point. Um, I, def- I have tickets to see uh, Unleash the Archers next week. Uh, with um, Seven Kingdoms and Aether Realm, which um, is going to be my first metal concert in two plus years. So I'm really pretty amped about it, even though it's in the middle of the week. Um, I may have to call in sick the next day. I guess we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm pumped because uh, if you recall, um, their most recent album, Abyss, was my album of the year last year. And uh, I look forward to hearing some of that material performed live. Uh, Britney is always just such a, a, a flabbergastingly incredible live singer. How she's able to do what she does like in the studio in person is incredible. They, she seems to do it with like minimum effort too. Yeah, it, it, it is incredible. And I have to say they got a lot tighter live. Um, I caught them on the last leg of the tour, which I guess was about two months ago at this point. Um it's funny because I remember seeing them a bunch of years ago and never thinking that they were, you know, anything special live. I thought they were fine. I thought they were good. You know, I enjoyed the show because I enjoyed the music. Um, but to your point, the newest album is so good and their live performance has gotten so much better. Um, the future is very bright for them and they're kind of leading the charge in North America for that style of um, power metal, I guess you'd call it, or blend of power metal and just, you know, straightforward like rock. It, it's just well done, and I, 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 the future is definitely bright there. So I'm, I'm glad you're going to get to see that show. It'll be, it'll definitely be a good time. Yep, I'm very, very excited. It's time to, time to get back into things because, um, man, I just, I miss seeing live bands. I've seen very few since the last time Prog Power took place, and I've yet, and I haven't seen a metal show. I mean, unless you want to count Trans Siberian Orchestra. But even that was two years ago, and that was so. Yeah, I, I'm well overdue. It's definitely, definitely time. But um, I look forward to hearing more about that and kind of your your rundown next week. But let's talk about the reason why we're here. Brian Clough, um, longtime listener of the show, he wanted to hear some sabotage, and uh, had him do a little write up, kind of explaining what his, uh, you know, why Edge of Thorns and and why this particular album. Um, and I guess it's just a good lead in to, to the discussion from uh, this album that came out in 1993. He says, Edge of Thorns was my introduction to Sabotage. In my opinion, this album was the perfect storm, meaning Chris Oliva was in his prime, John Oliva was still involved in the writing process, and they brought in Zach Stevens uh, on board to round out the lineup. According to John, he had actually helped handpick his replacement behind the mic. Uh, his voice was shot, according to him, after the Streets tour, so it was time to step down. And Edge of Thorns still had all the elements that made Sabotage great, but they were able to add a more radio-friendly lead singer uh, for the times. And in my opinion, Edge of Thorns is the perfect place for a newcomer to begin exploring Sabotage. 
and encompasses all of what the band had accomplished before while allowing listeners a glimpse in as to what was to come. And I, I think that's a great point we'll, we'll definitely hit on. Uh, and this obviously includes Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Unfortunately, Edge of Thorns would be the last album to feature Chris Oliva on guitar as he was tragically taken in a vehicle accident on October 17th, 1993. This makes uh, this album all the more important within the history of Sabotage. All the tracks on this album are stellar, but my favorites remain the title track and Absolute Anthem, All That I Bleed, uh, a song which Zach hasn't pushed his voice that far since, and Damien, an overlooked gem. Uh, to the Metal Exchange podcast listeners out there, I hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as I will. If you're new to this band, then you're starting at the perfect place uh, for exploring what I believe to be the greatest metal band of all time. And yes, I said it, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, so very nice write-up, and it kind of leads us right into into this album. Um, this album came out, as I said, in, in, in the spring of 1993. Um my question for you is we, I know we didn't really start listening to Sabotage for another four or five years after this. This wasn't the first Sabotage song or album that you had heard. Is that kind of accurate? Definitely. Um, I, I, my first metal album ever was Handful of Rain, which was released a year after this. And then I believe I got Gutter Ballet shortly after that. And, um, I want to say I even had Dead Winter Dead prior to Edge of Thorns. This was, I think, the last of the the Zach albums that I got, uh, maybe outside of Wake of Magellan, which wasn't released in the U.S. as of yet. But I probably got this around the same time as that one. So I was more familiar with um, Streets, Gutter Ballet, Handful of Rain, uh, and those albums. Um, this one I kind of got to kind of like fill in the discography. Um, I remember, I think I ordered this and, and Stradivarius's visions album. Um, Cause I was missing both of those in my collection. So, um, or episode, I don't know. I, I just remember it being Stradivarius, but um, so yeah, I, I picked this up a little bit later on and, and I really, I think the only song I was really familiar with was the title track. So all this stuff was, uh, was, was pretty new to me when I got the album and, and it was, I was definitely curious to hear um, this one album that Zach Stevens and Chris Oliva got to share a little bit of uh, space on. So um, it was a little bit later on, but uh, yeah, um, I, I remember liking it quite a bit. And uh, it's interesting that I started with handful of rain because it was such a, a weird album where there was so much like, turmoil and turnover with the band at the time um this was supposed to be kind of like this new i guess new era going forward and unfortunately it didn't really work out that way with, with chris getting killed by a drunk driver in a, in a car accident um it's a, a loss that i think we all still feel to this day so i always whenever i hear this album i just think about um the one time zach and chris got to to you know, work together. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Cause there's a lot of, I think in the guitar work, there's a lot of callback to the earlier sabotage, but yet you have this, um, this new singer who I, for me, I mean, him and John are two of my all time favorite vocalists ever. And, um, two guys that couldn't sound more different as singers. And somehow it works with the band, which is interesting because they do a lot of bonus tracks, um, where where John actually does acoustic versions of Zach's songs, and yet it works, even though their styles are so different. And I'm I'm sure we'll 
get to that in the future. And also, you know, you mentioned Handful of Rain. That That's really more of like a John Oliva solo project. And even though a lot of guys got credit, including Alex Skolnick from Testament in terms of his help on the album, my understanding is that that was basically a John Oliva solo effort and he just kind of put the names on there. Now, again, I don't know if that's 100% true, but I, I have heard that he was basically recording all the guitars and all the keys and, and you know, I, he may have even done the drums on the album. It, that That's a fascinating, fascinating piece of music. And it comes out, like you said, just a year after this. Um, another one that we'll have to do in the future for sure. But, you know, I, I think that this, we often talk about transitional albums. This is most certainly that. And, and while I think that you can definitely hear pieces of gutter ballet and streets and even Hall of the Mountain King on Edge of Thorns, you also hear pieces of what would become Dead Winter Dead or pieces of what would become the Wake of Magellan in, in, in small spots as well. So it really is that like transition from the, the, the 80s metal sabotage to the more progressive sabotage that they become in the 90s, if that makes sense. Right. I, I wonder, though, what the band would have been had Chris stayed alive. I, I feel like um, this was supposed to be. I mean, it still ended up being a transition, but I think it was supposed to be a different kind of transition. Um, but it, it is a very interesting uh, interesting album, to, to say the least. And, and I have to say, and I, I know we've talked about it before, but um, for a, a longtime singer to kind of step back and bring in some somebody new, um, I mean... Like you said, we weren't really fans at the time, but but it seems to me that Zach's placement in the band w- was pretty well received. Um, you know, you think of of like the hard time Andy Darris has gotten from replacing Michael Kisk, or even you know Sammy Hagar replacing David Lee Roth. Like to come in an established band and just take over with a completely different style. Um, I I mean, I got into the both eras of Sabotage at the same time, so to me, like. There was always, they were always there. It wasn't a transition for me. It was just kind of like, this is what the band used to sound like, and this is what the band sounds like now. So, um, you know, the first two songs I ever heard were Gutter Ballet and Chance. So it was kind of like a, a, a best of both worlds kind of situation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Zach comes in here and he does such a great job that I think he, I think the, the fans were sold on him right away. I could be wrong, but, um, that's my at least like revisionist history. It seems like people love Zach, um, and, and the fact that later on, you know, the band would kind of become Zach with John contributing vocals to you know a couple of tracks. You know, we discussed Dead Winter Daddy. He also sings two songs on Wake of Magellan, and then would go on to sing the entire Poets and Mad Men album. Um, so i don't know to me like i always see sabotage as kind of a two-headed monster and like i don't think i really could pick one over the other i love both guys um their styles so much in their own way and having seen both of them do their do their work live it's it's a dream to have seen you know uh zach sing all of wake of magellan and john sing all of streets um just you know I, I could sit here and gush about this band all day long. They were my my first love in metal, and and uh, and every time I go back and listen to them, I'm just reminded of how much this band mean, means to me. And I think that it sometimes just gets lost because they don't exist really anymore and haven't for 
you know, most of the last 20 years. And I think that there's such a, a desire from that fan base for them to kind of crawl back from the ashes and, and start doing something again. Um, I think that Vakken show that they did was kind of a tease um, of what could be. Um, and unfortunately, um, Paul O'Neill, you know, died after that and, and um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is continuing on and they added uh, an, a, a classic sabotage track to their tour this year a little too far from the Streets album. So they're kind of sprinkling in a little bit of sabotage influence each year. They did Handful of Rain last year. Um, so yeah, it's they're, they still kind of exist, but um, I think people just want to see that classic lineup or some combination of it. I, I, I would love to see the the Dead Winter Dead Wake of Magellan lineup uh, with you know Al Petrelli and Jeff Plate and Caffrey and with both singers and uh, you know Johnny Lee. Um, that would be to me like the ultimate sabotage lineup. Um, to me, they maybe need have, to do. They need to do. Maybe one have of those... Do- Dr. Kildrum show up for a couple of older tunes, but I mean, Honestly, that's I was, what I would. I was just about like to say for. they they need to do kind of the Halloween thing where they just bring both lineups together, right? And they just kind of switch off for for the different songs before they do this like one more farewell blowout tour. When when you play a show in front of sixty thousand people in Germany. There's clearly a clamoring for this, right? They headlined Wacken that year. It was no coincidence that they headlined. They played on both stages and they just like tore the place up. I saw about an hour of, of that material and it's just absolutely incredible. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that for a band that kind of fizzled out in terms of touring after Poets and Mad Men, where they, you know, they were playing small clubs and I, I caught them twice on that tour. Very memorable shows, but obviously Zach Stevens was not with them. Um, you know, to then go, you know, less than 20 years later and to play in front of a crowd of 60,000, I think that the diehards are still there. And I think that if you go to those Trans-Siberian Orchestra shows, you always get the Sabotage fans that are just clamoring for that stuff. So for them to sprinkle in songs from Streets and whatnot, uh, very, very cool. And, um, you know, I just, the, 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 you know, as I go back and I listen to this stuff, what I think separates them from other bands is just phenomenal songwriting. Yes, Chris Oliva was a master at the guitar. There's no question about that. He is one of the most underrated and underappreciated, but at the same time, one of the most beloved figures in all of the guitar world. But John Oliva's songwriting is so good, and the lyrics, by and large, are so good. It separates them from a lot of their peers and a lot of other bands, and that's why the they're timeless in many ways. And, and I'm going to throw this out there. It kind of reminds me of the Beatles. And I happen to know that Oliva is a big Beatles fan. Not that the music is like the Beatles, but the songs. The songs are timeless. And that's what you have with this stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that, that Brian picked this because um, I, it's just, like I said, it's, it's a very, very interesting album. And I was curious for me whether it was going to hold up the way it did, uh, you know, 20 over 25 years ago when I first heard it, the, 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 whether this nostalgia was going to hold up because it had been a while. Um, and it did. I'm not going to say that every song was as good as I remembered it. There's a couple that of duds in my opinion, but by and large, this is just, you know, another in the long line of fantastic sabotage albums. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, honestly, just, uh, it's great stuff. And, and, you know, I couldn't agree more about the, the, just 
the songwriting is so timeless and it's uh it's just great like there's just i i feel like the songwriting stayed excellent even after chris passed away and and i think that you know a lot of credit goes to john and paul for that um speaking of the beatles yeah um, there you go <laughs> um yeah so uh yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, why don't we dive in? Let's do it. Um, we're going to begin with Brian's track of the week, which is Edge of Thorns, the title track. An offering of reasons. We put them all in play. A covering of treasons that one by one. Dare I say the most iconic sabotage opening song of all time? And and if people that bought this as a blind purchase in 1993, um, they were not disappointed with the new direction that the band would kind of start gravitating towards because this is to this day one of probably the most top three, top five iconic sabotage tracks. Fair to say? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I had no idea. I, I picked this up on uh wikipedia that this was this the opening piano riff was used on the real world um i had no idea um i guess during scenes that involved um pedro who he was like one of the first like tv like tv star i mean we're talking about the probably the first reality show ever and he was um one of the first like uh, reality show television stars who had uh, HIV and, and AIDS. He was openly gay, and and um, and he when he passed away, it was kind of a, a thing because people knew him from this real world series and what he was going through, and and so the fact that they used the the opening piano riff to Edge of Thorns, I had no clue. That is really mind boggling, like or not mind boggling, just um, just mind blowing, I should say. I. Couldn't, can't even believe it. I know there was a, a music video made. I can't imagine it got a lot of play on MTV in 1993. But um, yeah, I mean, to me, I hear this song and it's it's definitely one of the most iconic sabotage songs. I remember um, after uh, Circle of Circle played all of Wake of Magellan at Prague Power, I um, after they finished the album, I was like, oh man, I got to run and get, grab a drink, whatever. And as I'm like, leaving all of a sudden i hear the opening piano riff to edge of thorns and i just run right back into the venue to hear i was like oh i'm not missing this one so um it was cool hearing zach sing that live but yeah this is a really phenomenal song and and i don't really think that i like the like i don't know i remember when we talked about pretty maids that you were saying that it was kind of like a band trying to find its identity and i feel like this album kind of goes all over the place too and it might be 
I don't know if it, it's like a combination of Chris and John's songwriting with Paul involved. It's 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 a it's kind of strange some of the songs how they don't really sound <laughs> like one another. And this one I think yeah, kind of over stand, the place. stands on I mean, its own. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over the place. This this particular track has this phenomenal keyboard intro and if you listen to John Oliva play it live, he fucks this up every single time. It's 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 kind of funny. It's almost like I think he pats himself on the back, Barry Horowitz style, when he actually gets this right because it's like such a joke because, I don't know, he can't seem to play it live. But um, once you listen to the track, it gets stuck in your head. It, it has It's the longest track on the album, and I don't think I ever realized that, but it's the longest track on the album. And to me, it's just a modern gutter ballet. That's what I hear. When I hear this song, it's just a nod to gutter ballet. Um, everything from the, the phenomenal lyrics, the the... the awesome guitar riff about midway through the song that kind of gives way to a classic Chris Oliva guitar solo. There's even a bass solo on this song, which is something that we really don't talk about when, when you talk about Sabotage. As much as Johnny Lee Middleton holds the low end together, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle, I think, but they gave him a bass solo on the first track on this album. Short, but sweet. Um, just an absolute classic. And, 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 a very good choice for song of the week. It's not mine, but Brian, I think, you know, with good reason, this is the first sabotage song he heard. And, and I can understand why he would choose it. It might be mine. I, I don't know yet. It, it's so, it's hard to choose. Cause I have a lot of songs that I like a lot on this album. And then there's some other songs I can guarantee you or not, didn't even sniff song of the week. So, Oh, totally. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I, I think it's a little, uh, I don't say unbalanced, but it, it is a little all over the place. What uh, he carves his stone. The second track, Starts with a different intro than the first because you have this real slow guitar with the kind of like the symbol in the background before the vocals kick in. Uh, and then when it kicks in, my God, does the, with the chorus, it kicks off with a bang and it gets real heavy real fast. I love the verses here, but the choruses are a bit repetitive and boring. I'm not a huge fan of, of, of this particular track. It's fine. But the, the, the real star here is Zach Stevens. The, the, some of the vocal notes that he hits, especially towards the end of this song when it really begins to pick up, I don't know how he does it. And I, and I think it's worth noting, they found him with another band called Wicked Witch. I guess that was like his first band before Sabotage. I've never heard a note from them. Um, and, and I guess I really should go back and listen to it or see if I can dig up their stuff because I can't even imagine what a younger Zach Stevens would, would kind of sound like. But, uh, you know, it's out there and, and this song kind of is a nod to that because this is a young Zach Stevens in his prime and it makes up for what's otherwise kind of like a mediocre song in my opinion. Yeah, I think that this song has a lot of nods to the older Sabotage sound. Uh, um, I, like the the way that it kind of starts out in this kind of slow acoustic way, I think they're going to, they use that um, style um, in the past and, they, and they'll use it again on, on Handful of Rain and, and subsequent albums. Um, I agree with you that like the, the chorus is just okay, but this is definitely a song that grew on me over the years. Um, it's not my least favorite song on the album. Um, although it probably is towards the bottom, but I do, I do like this song. I think that the, um, the guitar solo is, is phenomenal. It really is just Chris Oliva tearing it up. Um, I think that's the real highlight of this song is um, after the second chorus uh, when you just hear Chris do his 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 stuff and yeah, like you said, Zach just does a, a really great job singing. So um, I think this is 
it kind of makes sense as, as the second track. It kind of um, brings things down a little bit after after such a like massive like hit like Edge of Thorns. Um, I like this song, but again, not my favorite. But um, it's in the middle. For there's me only too. there's only one song on this album I don't care for, and I'm then curious we'll get to, to see it. if it's the same as mine. Because I be, I'm willing to bet that it is. All right. Well, we'll 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 bring in Scraggy at that point, but we're not there yet. So let's 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 see if it's the same thing. The the third track is Lights Out, and this is like a short little banger. Begins with a really cool guitar solo. Again, here I, I love these like kind of hard rockish verses. Um, not my favorite chorus, but it's not terrible. It's it's kind of like a groovy little song with a grunge feel to it, almost a nod to like kind of like a Nirvana song in many ways. It's a little weird. I also hear some Skid Row in there as well. I think that this song is what it needs to be. I, I think if it was any longer, I would probably not like it as much as I do. But for what it is, I think it's actually a, an improvement over He Carves His Stone and a, a good a good third track. It actually kind of reminds me of Nothing's Going On, which would be on the, the following album, Handful of Rain. And oddly enough, was uh, Chris Oliva has co-songwriting credits on that song. So maybe there's mm. something to that. Um but uh, yeah, this is I like this these kind of like speedy, um, kind of catchy sabotage songs. Let me ask you something: Did you notice anything weird about the drums when you were listening to this album? I never noticed it until this week, and now I can't not hear it. I didn't notice until it got spoiled for me, and then I haven't been able to unhear it. Um, you want to let the cat out of the bag as to why the drums sound a little peculiar on this record? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was listening to it and I was like, is he using a drum machine? It doesn't sound like like legit drums. And sure enough, I jumped jumped onto Wikipedia before we came on here and, and it says that uh, Steve Wackles chose to use electronic drums. I don't know that it – I don't know that it's a bad sound. I think it's actually impressive how – real the drums sound in certain parts um but there's certain parts where you can just kind of tell i don't think it takes away from anything i just thought it was a an interesting choice and not something i'd ever noticed until recently or yeah really I, that was today maybe might have been the first time i noticed it definitely um uh news to me but then i like you said i couldn't unhear it after that so um an interesting choice and, and something that he hadn't employed on any of the albums before this so I don't know, and he just... and he wouldn't he wouldn't drum on a sabotage album again after this. I mean, right. like you mentioned before, he was credited on Handful of Rain, but um, I don't think that he actually did any actual drum work. I, I think, according to Wikipedia, he had already left the band by the time the album was recorded. And so, um, like you said, John Oliva did the drums and the bass and the rhythm guitar and the piano, keyboards and backing vocals. It was really it's just a, it's a solo album. It's him and Skolnick and and Zach Stevens pretty much. Just I think Skolnick handled um, some of the solos. all the solos because I don't think John felt comfortable doing what Chris was doing. So he kind of brought in a a hired gun, if you will. Um, Alex had been you know had experience playing in Testament. So um, yeah, um, I just thought that was interesting, and you can kind of notice it, especially on this song. It's just kind of why I I brought it up, but. Uh, yeah, the next track, huh? Who the hell is Scraggy? I don't know, but he sucks. Yeah, this, 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 <laughs> we, we are in complete agreement. This, 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 this is the weakest song on, 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 on the album. And there's really just no 
redeeming quality here. The intro kind of reminds me of something that would have been on Hall of the Mountain King. Um, the verses are okay. The chorus completely sucks. Weak lyrics. Um, I'll tell you something funny, and I, I, I listened to it a bunch this week. But there's one thing I'll say, and that's, I, I guess, the biggest nod to Sabotage I can give for what's otherwise a really weak track. If they ever played it live, I think I'd go crazy because I think I'd actually want to hear it live. As bad as it is, I just feel like the the, the novelty of hearing a song like this live would actually be really cool. But I, I don't have very many positive things to say about it other than that. Um, it's like when Pearl Jam fans go ape shit when Eddie Vedder walks out with an accordion and starts playing Bugs. Like it's an right. awful song. It's an but awful song, but it's like it's like finding a, a finding a really rare baseball card. Like you're right. like you know, right. And the guy, and really... the, the, the guy might be a you know a bench player, but because there's a rarity or a novelty factor to it, um, you know, people clamor for it. I, I, I've seen Pearl Jam do Bugs live, and and. The song still sucks, but at the end of the day, it was cool to see for what it was. So one of these days, maybe we'll get Scraggy's Tomb, but that's all I'm going to say about that. Then you get to this Oreo cookie, right? There's there's this Oreo cookie in the middle of the album where you have a fantastic song sandwiched between two fantastic instrumental tracks. And, and I bring these three up together because it's just a little bit odd to have these two instrumental short tunes in the middle of the album with a with a song in the middle but that's kind of how i look at it as an oreo cookie the first instrumental is a um song called labyrinths and all i can say about this is this is an absolute precursor to trans-siberian orchestra it has this fantastic piano which gives way to a slow guitar that the only way i can describe it is that this guitar sings to you it's almost like you don't need the lyrics because you have Chris Oliva's guitar doing all the singing for you, albeit obviously without words. And eventually it picks up speed, showing his technical, like his technical prowess and his technical mastery. Labyrinths may be one of my favorite sabotage songs, as short as it is, you know, it being it's a minute and a half, and it's phenomenal. It's just an absolutely beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I, I kind of think of it as like a callback to Temptation Revelation, which was on um Gutter Ballet, Ballet, which also kind of served as an as the outer cookie of a of an Oreo with That's when right. the crowds are gone and then Silk of Steel kind of, Silk and Steel um finishing it off. Um this is this is a really cool like just an Oliva Brothers special. Like John on the piano, Chris on the guitar, and to me like I can't listen to this song without having to hear Follow Me come on right afterwards, which I think is arguably the most underrated song on this album. I completely agree with you. It's not my song of the week, but it very well could be. It was between this and one other one, and I'm going to go with another one. But to be honest with you, this is such a phenomenal tune. Um, It's obviously Edge of Thorns gets all the love, but Follow Me is just an outstanding track. You have uh, an acoustic guitar intro with what can maybe Zach's best vocal performance on the album from top to bottom. Um, a fantastic drum fill, which ultimately gives way to the verses and, and, and a catchy chorus. I love the change of pace throughout this song. It's, you know, probably their most progressive song or at least one of them on the album. Um, and, and what I love is that he, he, throughout the, the, the verses, 
Zach employs this really kind of soft, almost mellow technique. And then when he starts getting into follow me, which kicks off the chorus, he belts out the me. And it's like, I don't know. It's just the, the, the power behind that is, is phenomenal. It's kind of like an innovative song in a number of ways. I, I just can't get over it. And even the instrumental section, right? The guitar solo again here, it just sings to you. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a perfect example of less being more. That's, that's how I can describe it. It's not the most blistering solo of all time. Um, just great. And, 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 and actually here, they actually use a bridge towards the end to get before the final, the final chorus, which is something they don't employ all the time, but when they do, it's very effective. I think it also is like, uh, just vintage Zach Stevens being able to do that kind of whisper sing. And then also that absolutely powerful, just belted out kind of style. I mean, he, he's so talented and, and, you know, I'm glad you mentioned like that this is, you know, one of his earliest works because you're really hearing a, a, a young Zach Stevens just just come in and just take this job from John Oliva. Like, you know, I don't think uh, there might not have been a lot of people missing John Oliva by the time this track came on. I mean, he's just such a fantastic singer. I'm sure it had to be jarring just because of the stylistic difference because you know john always had that kind of like raspy kind of voice it's almost like going from like bruce springsteen to billy joel like you're, you're going from like this more raspy kind of uh sandpapery kind of vocals to somebody who while he can do like kind of like harsher vocals not death vocals but just more powerful vocals he has a a, a much more i think classically kind of trained style um, vocals. It's kind of like the opposite of what Halloween did from going from Kisk to, to Darius. Yeah, good, um, good, good, good analogy. But one of the interesting things um, was that uh, when, when Streets got re-released, um, they, I think it was in, in 2013, they released a narrated version and it had all of the original narrations. The whole album was supposed to be narrated instead of just Jesus Saves as it turned out to be. And there was a lot. I mean, that album was so. I think that they had seen it as a, du- a two disc, a double album. The uh, record label didn't want to do it that way. Um, so I think there was a lot of music that got scrapped. And one of the songs was uh, uh, was called um, Larry uh, Larry Elbows, <laughs> and <laughs> and Larry Elbows was a character in the street story. Yeah. He was a, a, I guess he was involved with 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 DT Jesus and and that song kind of tells the story but you, you'll notice that the guitar solo at the end of, of exit music was lifted right from that right from that song um, yeah which i never realized and maybe it's because i only heard larry elbows a couple of times um but you're absolutely right and it's it's outstanding and, and apparently because it never made the cut so to speak on streets they put it on the next album and I'm glad they did because it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of guitar work. It's, it's also, um, I recall John, John doing an interview saying that he has so many recordings that Chris did that he can use in the future. He used for sabotage after Chris passed, he used it for his John Oliva's pain. Um, so it's kind of cool that some of these like older things are getting repurposed. This was something that just happened to be repurposed while, 
uh, Chris was still with us. Um, but I just thought that was really interesting that they would reuse that. It's the riff before the, the bridge at the end of the song that you mentioned earlier, but it's just, it was kind of cool. I remember thinking like, Oh, that's neat. We get to hear an old sabotage song that never got released. And then all of a sudden it got to that part. And I'm like, I've heard this before. So yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when you know the music, I guess, as well as you do and, and, you know, stuff that we've been listening to for so long, you, you pick up on stuff like that, that you might not have realized if you were just more of a casual fan, but definitely a nod to, uh, to streets there. And, and you, you can see the connection what do you think of like the uh, the other piece of the cookie here with the exit music? So I'm just going to say this is one of my all time favorite piano pieces by anyone ever. Um, it is absolutely beautiful. Um, I just don't understand why it's in the middle of this album when it clearly should have been the last song. Um, all I can think of is that they were thinking with vinyl slash cassette brain. And they wanted it to end side A um, because sleep does make for a very great way to end the album in total or side B, if you will. But to me, like this song really should uh, should really close out any album that this song would appear on. I just think it's such a good song and just goes to show you like John Oliva is just a, a absolute master at the piano. And, and this is just a slow grand piano style just a piano ballad really and um, don't they play it at the end of tso shows like when you're leaving the theater or the stage they might the um i know a lot of those short sabotage instrumental tracks are used um when you're coming in and out of tso um so it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me to be honest with you um i had made a playlist years ago um, of just a lot of like ballady, mellow, kind of like a, a like a nighttime go to sleep kind of mix. And um, believe it or not, I didn't make this the last song. It was the second to last song, and then the last song was "Longing" by Halloween. Um, I should send you this this playlist because it's like I don't think there's almost any no, there's nothing that came out after like 1999 on this list, nice. but it's all just kind of like ballads and and. Uh, you know, power ballads and, and just, just mellow stuff, stuff that like, I, I sometimes put it on, like, um, if I've had a few and I'm like laying in bed and I'm kind of like not ready to fall asleep right away, I'll just put this on and it just kind of lulls me. I don't know if I ever even make it to like the third track. Um, <laughs> but, uh, post it this uh, week so that everyone can take a listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, maybe I'll add it to our, um, our Spotify playlists. Um, Love it. See, provided I can find all the songs on Spotify, but um, I just always, I just always thought this was such a, a cool song, and and uh, I think and, and it was the last song on on Mike's Blood Fire and Metal Volume One mixtape um, that I have a, as a playlist. Um, he ended his tape with Hall of the Mountain King, followed by Exit Music. So I clearly, like Mike thought this should have been the last song too. So shout out to Mike. Um, we'll be mentioning him again shortly, but. Uh, Really fantastic song. If you're just, even if you're not a big fan of, of metal or you don't like sabotage or whatever it is, I'm not sure why you would be listening to this podcast, but <laughs> um, listen to that song. It's really, really fantastic. No, no argument here. Side two or side B kicks off with another track that 
is a bit of a filler tune for me, and that's Degrees of Sanity. It's an interesting song, and there's kind of a lot going on here. Uh, this really, really heavy riff kind of takes over after a kind of a short guitar intro. But here again, Zach is what makes this song, and I, I can't imagine anybody else singing this song. Not my favorite. Uh, even the instrumental section here is slightly uninspired. I, I, I found it an odd choice to kind of come after exit music. Uh, maybe your opinion differs. Not not my favorite tune. Kind of a, I don't know, just a, you know, kind of a filler track for me. My opinion differs. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> you like this one? I do. I like this quite a bit. And it kind of goes back to uh, years ago when we were still in high school, we had a, a mutual friend named Steve who got, um, he found a, a, a Japanese copy of, of um, I think it was called the best, the rest, the best in the rest or the, the best, the, the rest best in the rare. I might be confusing it with Halloween who had a compilation album, the same. And um, I had like traded a, a couple of CDs cause I wanted it so bad. Cause like just getting imported CDs was, was kind of hard to do. And I just, it was like a crown jewel to me that I wanted to have for my collection. And I always thought it was interesting that, this song was on it. I, I was like, "What?" Like degrees of sanity on a sabotage best of is is interesting. And I think ever since then, I, I think I paid more attention to the song. Almost like you know, so, like because I I want to say those songs were fan voted by like a Japanese magazine. Um, so clearly enough people cared about it to vote it onto a greatest hits album. Um, I yeah, I, I it's it's towards the top of my favorite song in this album but probably like not in the top three or four but i do i do like it i think it's a good song i think it's a good way to kind of start out what i consider to be like the second half of the album which i think is is really good and i think that i didn't appreciate it as much as i do now when i was younger i think i was really more into like edge of thorns and he carves his stone and follow me and then it was kind of like I didn't care too much about much else until sleep came around. Um, but going back and listening to this again, man, the second half of this album is really I, strong as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, although degrees of sanity is not my favorite. Um, it, it really begins to pick up with conversation piece. In my opinion, what do you think about that one? Awesome. Um, another, I think along with follow me, one of the more underrated, I, I, not just on this album, I think one of the more underrated sabotage songs ever. Um, just really cool stop and go guitar work to, to kind of kick things off. Um, and then the 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 bridge, or or is it the bridge or the the chorus? It's just uh, just all of it is so catchy. Um, it's so well written, and, and Zach just knocks it out of the park. Um, just yeah. a really, really cool song, and catchy, just catchy, and yeah, very, very typical of the sabotage's ability to to make a very mid-paced song like memorable. It's slightly repetitive, but not to the point of excess. And who doesn't love conversations over tea? So, like over a cup of tea. I mean, let's call it for what it is. Something about this song is so charming to me. And, and maybe it's the lyrical content, but I just love it. I think it's a great chorus, really catchy verses, and a very underrated tune that nobody seems to talk about, no pun intended. And I, I just think it's leading up to 
one of the two ballads. And, and, you know, we spoke last week when we were talking about Luca Turilli's solo album about, you know, the two ballads on that and, and how we agreed that, you know, one was markedly better than the other. I think you'd be hard pressed to say that about the two ballads on this album. All that I bleed is the first of the two, but they're both amazing in their own, in their own way. What I love about this is here you're basically, again, this is John Olive at his best on the piano with Zach's um, intoxicating vocals over the top and how the song slowly, slowly gets heavier and heavier towards the end and turns into a power ballad. When I spoke about the Beatles and the songwriting earlier, this is one of those tracks that really the songwriting is just so great. And when you listen to the to the lyrics, you can actually visualize um, – what they're talking about and and they don't use big words they don't use flowerly flowerly language but this is where john and paul were masters of their of their domain and and, you know if i could sing this would be a karaoke song for me i just think it's a fantastic tune and it actually reminds me of something that tso would do about three years later when they sang old city bar and i just absolutely love this track Yeah, this is a really, I mean, if you like power ballads, holy, holy hell, this is really, really fantastic and um, made an appearance on my volume two of me- Mellow Metal Songs. Um, <laughs> I was obsessed with this song um, when I was probably like 16, 17. I remember going on vacation with my family and just like, like listening to it on headphones. I think it was right after like Wake of Magellan had just come out and I got to take the album and listen to it for the first time, like on a plane. And while I was on vacation, all I did was listen to Wake of Magellan and Edge of Thorns while I was on that trip. But this song, I would just blast into my headphones because just when it gets going, it's goosebumps. Like it's just the orchestration, the vocals, everything. And then the fact that like, had this slow piano like really wispy vocals kind of like leading up to it like it really kind of almost lulls you into a sense of false security and then just blows your socks off um 
I really like the song. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Beatles because the piano, the way the piano comes in at the beginning reminds me a lot of Let It Be. So I'm be willing to bet that that might have been in the back of John's head when, when this song was written. But um, yeah, this is just, holy crap, what a performance by, by Zach and just a really fantastic song. Um, yeah, I just... Really, really awesome stuff. I, I, I'm going to leave it there because it's it's well said. You know, Brian Clough, when he made the request, talked about the next track, and he said Damien is an overlooked gem. Um, I have a feeling you're going to share that sentiment, or at least there's a nostalgia factor here. You want to tell them why? Uh, you know, I never really cared for the song originally, and, and, and our, our mutual friend Mike just like – I think he just beat it over our heads that it was a good song until I agreed. Um, I and, never and now liked I listen, this song. And now, now I listen to yeah. it and I like I, I like it a lot. I, yes. I think it's it's really good. It's again, it's like another kind of mid paced song, but um, it's got a it's got a great chorus. Um, the 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 verses are really awesome. I love Zach's vocals on here. The solos are awesome. I'm not sure. Mike saw something in the song when we didn't. So shout out to Mike. Um, yeah, this, just, this was a. This is the one that's probably grown on me the most over the years. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe miles away. We'll get there shortly. But this track, I never appreciated this when we were younger. But now I would put it up there with many of the other tracks on this. So shout out to Brian and Mike because they definitely saw something when I initially didn't but i i can appreciate it now it might have been just because mike would just start screaming damien like when no one would expect it <laughs> and then you'd pee a little and and you'd be like you know f this song um <laughs> so well said well yeah, said between it was funny because i was i was making dinner earlier and i had um i just had sabotage shuffling on apple music and uh paragons of innocence came on and that's another song that reminds me of mike just going ape shit in high school to a song um, with just, just like, you know, being the social butterfly that he is listening to headphones everywhere he went while everybody <laughs> else was, was trying to have a conversation. And then out of nowhere, you just hear paragons of innocence screaming in Nick's basement. Shout out to Nick's basement. <laughs> um, it just, but yeah, um, it's, it's, it's great. And I'll tell you something else that I, I noticed for the first time is that like, there's, with the with the verses you kind of hear this um this like kind of staccato uh piano going on from John Oliva which i actually noticed again listening to Larry Elbows um it just kind of <laughs> has that kind of like um really deliberate pace um and i guess it kind of is like a, a John one of the many uh John Oliva signature styles i guess but um I've completely done a 180 on this song. I'm a big fan of, of Damien now. And, and so between uh, Brian and Mike, yeah, uh, you guys were right. Yeah, uh, no question. No question about it. Um, the next track is my song of the week. Let the darkness roll in. Let it wipe the light. Dark colors all in one hour 
I love this track. And and I had mentioned Follow Me earlier as, as one of the real gems on this track outside of Edge of Thorns. This is the other one. This track is Sabotage in all its brilliance. It has really what I consider kind of an upbeat guitar intro. And all the although the lyrics are kind of dark, this to me is one of the most uplifting songs I've ever heard in my life. It's just a song that puts a smile on my face. If if I was going to make a one disc sabotage best of as hard as that would be, this song would probably be on there with Edge of Thorns and one of the two ballads as the as, as the representatives from this album. It has the perfect blend of metal and melody where you have these shredding guitar solos and this just very proggy melody that kind of drives the rest of the song an absolute gem uh 10 out of 10 this song kicks ass did you like this song at all or? it was okay no <laughs> what, what what tell me what you think am i am i, I am i am i overblown with this or is it yeah, maybe it's I, just me. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I I didn't care for this song at all when I was a lot younger, and I don't know why. Because now I listen to it and I'm like, man, this is this song really freaking slaps. I mean, again, it, it starts out like starts out very chill, and then about a minute and a half in, it just picks up, and and it really is a very like a very kind of upbeat like sounding song. It really kind of picks you up and. Um, I uh, was I got to listen to it. To, I listened to the whole album today, mostly in the car. Um, which, by the way, um, I sang "All That I Bleed" in my car like it was carpool karaoke. I'm so <laughs> glad no one heard that. It was probably very embarrassing, but I was amazed at and not just that song, but I'm just amazed at how many sabotage lyrics are just embedded in my head. That like I I was. You know, uh, full disclosure: my girlfriend is not hasn't been home all day today, so I have just been singing my my heart out all day, sabotage songs, and um, I just am blown away by how how many lyrics from this band I remember. And all that I believe is one of those songs where I know every last word. But um, getting back to this, this is uh, it's. I feel like this song is, is a bit of an outlier as far as I mean, the album is kind of all over the place, but um. I feel like maybe that's why I didn't like it when I was younger because it doesn't it doesn't feels like it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the songs. But um, I agree with you. It's a really really great great song, and um, you know for for being the second longest song on the album, it doesn't it doesn't drag at all. And I like that it kind of feels like it's almost two different songs because it starts out kind of chill and then and then you get a little bit more of an upbeat song uh, about a minute and a half in, like I said before, and. Just uh, good stuff, more fantastic, you know, Zach vocals and another, you know, more great guitar solos. And yeah, um, like I said, this whole second half of the album is is really quite good. And then we go to sleep, as we had mentioned uh, earlier, with the second of the two ballads to end this. But this one, instead of having the piano, it's just, you know, a acoustic this this is where whereas all that i bleed was was john and and zach this is really chris and zach with just a guitar and uh, a beautiful beautiful um obviously vocals what i love about this song though obviously in addition to the lyrics which almost make you want to cry because it's just so beautiful this the guitar tone the sound the sonic 
sound that comes out of Chris's guitar is just phenomenal for a ballad. Um, nobody writes ballads like this band. There were like, if, if you think about like all the different bands we listen to and they run the gamut from, you know, all over the place, sabotage ballads are the best. They, they truly are. And I, I don't say that as, you know, the fanboy that I am. I can't think of any band that writes ballads like this. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that bands don't have great songs. Porcupine Tree has some great ballads. Anathema has some great ballads, but Speaking nobody does sleep. this. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, what a way to end it, right? Can you think of a way? I mean, obviously, I can understand exit music, but if you're not going to choose that, this is this is a great way to end it. Yeah, this is just, I, I mean, it almost makes you sad that, you didn't get to have more songs like this with Chris and Zach together. Um, it really is just a beautiful song. It's a great way to end it. Um, I, I, when I was living with, uh, with our friend, Brian, um, we, he had learned how to play the song on his guitar and I, we tried recording like me singing and him playing guitar to this song. And like, I think this song even can make me sound passable. Um, it's just, because it's it's kind of in a lower register and and it, it's just oh my god it's a lovely song. Um, if we if I could find it, I'll try to share it. There's a really cool version of um of this song done by the West Coast TSO uh, group with Jeff Scott Soto singing this, which is really really cool. It's probably a pretty raggedy video because <laughs> it was probably from somebody's cell phone, and this was back before we had like, you know, studio level video capabilities on our phones. But um, I just remember being very impressed with um, Jeff's uh, rendition. But uh, yeah, just, I mean, it's amazing the, 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 the variation of, of what Zach can do as a vocalist between doing this really like, mellow whispery kind of vocals versus his like powerful strong vocals that he does in in songs like he carves the stone i mean he really shows all of his sides and everything he can do on this this debut album for him so um yeah great way to end it and 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 just a perfect um album to introduce a sabotage fan too right as brian had pointed out this has it all. It, it has a nod to the old school. It has uh, uh, it, it serves as a precursor to what's to come. Just a fantastic, fantastic album. And, and I'm going to ask you to rate this shortly. But I haven't heard your track of the week, so it's time to make a decision. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I I might have gone with Edge of Thorns, um, but you know what? I'll, I'm going to let Brian have this one. So just makes my life slightly easier in making a choice. Um, Man, I mean, I guess I'm kind of you between all that I bleed and and follow me. I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with with all that I bleed just so we have a little bit of, of that kind of ballady sound. Um, Perfect as a representation uh, for the for this album. But um, I mean, I have to say, like Edge of Thorns, follow me, conversation piece, all that I bleed. Um, Miles away, sleep. These are like some of my all-time favorite sabotage songs, and and I don't know if I really even want to wait another year to talk about this band because I mean, there's just as you can tell, we've been you know gushing for the last hour or so. Um, there's just so much 
going on uh, meat on the bones, as you would say, on all these albums. And uh, I definitely want to talk about Handful of Rain just because it's holds a very special place in my heart as the first metal album I ever bought or owned. And um, it's just very interesting considering everything that was going on with the band at the time. But um, I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. But uh, yeah, um, as far as rating it goes, um, I'll be honest, like uh, on a whole, I don't love this album quite as much as I love Dead Winter Dead. I don't remember what I gave Dead Winter Dead, but I'm going to guess it was probably like a, a 9.5 if I had to had to had to take a stab at it. Um, for me, I, I would say this album is probably an 8.75. I, I feel like a 9 is almost just a little too high just because I feel like the, the first half is a little bit lackluster compared to the second half. Um, but it, it's still, I mean, has some of the most iconic Sabotage songs ever. It's Zach Stevens' debut. It's Chris Oliva's, uh, you know, unfortunate swan song. Um, and it's kind of interesting because it marks the end and the beginning of a lot of, a, a lot of parts of Sabotage because this would be the end of, of Steve Wackles as their drummer. It would be the last album that Chris Oliva would play guitar on. It's the first album that Zach Stevens is on. It's the last, it's, it's the first album that John Oliva is not the, uh, the main vocal, uh, you know, guy, I guess on the, on the album. Um, and, uh, I, I think that they would kind of find with, when they got to edge, uh, to dead winter dead, that this really, they found this groove bringing in, you know, Al Petrelli and Chris Caffrey and Jeff plate um, to kind of round out the band and kind of put John Oliva's face back, back in the forefront of the band again. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I will say that this did kind of leave me wanting to hear more of what the Chris slash Zach era of sabotage could have been. And um, it sucks that we got Chris taken away from us. Um, I mean, God only knows where we would be in sabotage history. If the band would have continued beyond, you know, the early two thousands after poets and madmen, I mean, one can only, one can only guess. So um, almost. Yeah. Well, what about you? What do you, what do you, what do you give this on a scale so, one to 10? First of all, I, I agree. I don't know that I want to wait another year to do this again, just because I love them so much. To me, it's an 8.5. I, I love the album and there's, you know, three quarters of this album I, I really, really enjoy. And then it gets a little, it loses me at certain points, but for the most part, it's good. And I would put up certain songs with any of the stuff, uh, in the, in the back catalog, but top to bottom, I do think Dead Winter Dead and The Wake of Magellan are better albums. I think Streets arguably is a better album and certainly a lot of gutter ballet as well, but this is, you know, maybe a notch, maybe two notches below them, but it's it's, you know, a, a a very good sabotage album is better than most bands' great albums. So that's what this is, right? This is a very good sabotage album, not not their not their best, but a very good one, and it's certainly better than a lot of bands' great stuff. So it's an eight point five for me, um, and I guess that really kind of puts a bow on it, right? It's uh, it's it's what you said was was spot on what could have been and i almost don't want to think about it but um what i do want to do is now go listen to the rest of their stuff and, and yeah. that's probably uh, what you know before before we wrap it up um I, I remember that you know mike had kind of made a comment 
like a lot when the podcast first started about kind of um, shining a spotlight on on album art, and I feel like this album is. I remember getting this album and thinking that, and, and I might still argue this is my favorite Sabotage album cover. Um, it's actually uh, Chris Oliva's wife that is the model um, that they used for the the album cover. Uh, her, her name was Dawn. Um, presumably still is Dawn. Um, but I just love how she's kind of like this almost fairy-esque, like beautiful woman. And then like, there's this kind of like creepy, um, the, the branches of the trees are like this creepy face that like, I just look at it and I assume it's just John Oliva. And like, that's John Oliva's face being on this album somehow, even though totally he agree. has like, doesn't really get much credit as far as like a performing band member. Um, but I just think, um, I believe, um, Gary Smith, who, who, um, did a lot of, front and back covers for, for sabotage through the years. Um, and, and also, um, airbrushed Chris's guitars. Um, he was the one who painted this, this, uh, unbelievable, uh, album art. So I, I remember just getting this album and thinking to myself like that, it's just very visually impressive. And I, I, I this is something I would love to own on vinyl just because, you know, this, the seat, this, the seat, the size of a CD liner note just doesn't do, the artwork justice. So um, yeah, well, well said. there's I'm your third shout out, out, Mike, third shout out. There's a little talk about the, the, the cover art for you. That's uh, you, you got your cover art discussion. Well said. Um, and like I, you know, it just, just uh, worth noting for sure. Um, and I think that'll do it. You know, I, I think this is a good one and it's, it's, it's an album that I will continue to listen to until the end of time. There's no, no, no question about that one. Yeah. It's in all honesty, like, I mean, I don't know that there's any Sabotage album that isn't an essential listen. Uh, if you're a fan of this band, they all are. Um, but this is definitely, you know, one of those one of those albums. And uh, you can't really... I mean, to me, like, I can't listen to Streets and then go directly to Handful of Rain. Like, I have to listen to Edge of Thorns to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm so glad that Brian chose this. This is such a... Like if you had put it on us to choose with like the next sabotage album to talk about after Dead Winter Dead, I I, I don't. It's hard to choose because, you know, Streets is iconic and and Wake of Magellan at least to me is is iconic and Gutter Ballet and Hall of the Mountain King and and even like the older albums like Sirens and Power of the Night. Hell, I didn't even do an episode on Fight for the Rock just to talk more about sabotage. I mean, I'm sure we'll get there. I I would love to do that as well because that's I have thoughts about that, but. That, that, that'll take us into another podcast altogether. Um, thanks for choosing it, Brian. We hope we did, uh, we hope it did it justice. Let the requests keep on coming. We, we catalog these things and we have a whole bunch of them in the queue, but at the same time, um, a lot of repeat requests from people that have wanted multiple things. So we, we do, uh, we do see what, what everyone wants. And obviously we, like I said, we, we track this stuff. So send us a request if there's anything you guys want to hear. Um, Maybe we'll put something on social media about that uh, during the week. But a couple of news items. Uh, we, we mentioned Eddie Vedder earlier today. Eddie Vedder actually just announced uh, a couple of tour dates in February. He's doing a couple of uh, shows in New York, New Jersey, uh, Chicago, out west. And, uh, you know, always, always good to see his solo stuff. Obviously, we did an episode on 10, Pearl Jam's 10, back in the archives. So definitely check that out if you're a Pearl Jam fan. And what I can only describe is um, 
some of the most exciting news of the week for me. A new Iron Maiden tour, and I, I, I caught the first leg of Legacy of the Beast, and it was probably my favorite Iron Maiden show that I've ever seen, and I've been to quite a few of them. I just think that they are getting better and better and better, which I don't know how you do that after 40-plus years, but somehow they're doing it. Um, what I didn't realize right away was that the openers for this tour out west is Trivium, uh, a really solid metal band and, and a band that you know has just gotten better with time as well and by me on the east coast and in the south within temptation opening for iron maiden uh, i never thought i would see this band in an arena um but it's going to be a fun show and i'll tell you something having seen dream theater open for iron maiden the only thing that would be cooler would be seeing within temptation open for them i'm, I'm looking forward to this and, and the hits uh, I think the, t- the tour kicks off in Texas in September, ultimately ends in Tampa in October, and, and they're coming just down the block for me um, in, in late October. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, yeah, um, I will be definitely, definitely joining you for that because the, the opportunity to see Within Temptation play in, in an arena in the United States is, is just too too good to, to pass up. And uh as far as Eddie Vedder goes, I've actually had the pleasure of seeing him perform live without Pearl Jam. And if you want to just see like a completely different experience, just a lot more chill, more, a little bit more storytelling, um, it, it's it's a hell of a show. Um, he's got a new album called um, Earthling or Earthlings. Earthlings coming out uh, early next year. There's already two singles, Long Way and The Haves. Um, just very different. If you like Eddie Vedder's voice, but you think Pearl Jam's a little too heavy, again, not sure why you're listening to this podcast, but um, hmm. his his solo stuff is definitely more, I, I would say more folksy and a little bit more on the acoustic side. Um, I love his, uh, his songs that he did for the Into the Wild soundtrack. Um, but yeah, um, definitely recommend seeing both of those uh, tours. Two very different <laughs> tours, but uh, both definitely worth checking out. Well said. Um, and now we get to my album for next week. I went back and forth with this one, and, and I, I think I had mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago how just absolutely, I guess, um, enamored I was with the newest album by Elevati, um, that came out in 2019. It was a top five album for me. Not going to choose that, but I bring that up because I was listening to, uh, some of my material on shuffle, which is something that unfortunately I just don't do as much as I probably should. Um, but I did and I, and I kind of realized a couple of things. Number one, a song, uh, from the back catalog came on called A Rose for Apana. Um, it was from their 2012 release, uh, Helvetios. I realized how grossly negligent I am when it comes to Anna Murphy's material in, in, in this band. I'm familiar with her work in Cellar Darling. I've heard a lot of the old material, but I never really had a chance to absorb it. So I wanted to go back to 2012 and do Elevati's Helvetios album. I thought it would be different, um, something a little folky and and just you know i adore her as a musician so i think that it would be a nice blend to, to kind of go back into the archives and do something a little deeper or a deeper dive into a band that i'm familiar with but just not as familiar as i that i probably should be yeah i'm kind of in the same boat so i'm glad that you you chose that one um yeah this is a band i've always enjoyed but just don't know that much about 
just don't know that much material by i love their most recent album that came out two years ago um uh that song uh on Biramus, uh, i'm probably gonna probably butchered it but um i that was one of my favorites from 2019 um so yeah that that's cool i, I definitely look forward to giving that a, a deeper dive Yep, and uh, with that, we'll put a bow on it. We'll come back next week with that. It'll be your choice the week after, and uh, we're getting closer to our albums of the year and our kind of year-end wrap-up episode, which I'm looking forward to as well. So um, keep the requests coming, as I mentioned earlier. Thanks uh, for all the love and support, and we love the engagement, so keep it coming. The best thing you can do, tell a friend about the show. If there's anyone else that you think would enjoy it, definitely share uh, share our link, share our social media, and uh, word of mouth is, is definitely the best way to get uh, our product out to everyone and, and get every, you know get more ears on it. We know you're out there. Um, we have people listening all over the world, and we, we certainly appreciate that. But we, uh, it never hurts to have more people uh, and more ears um, engage with us and, and listen to the show. So thanks a lot. Uh, Chris, enjoy the week, and I will, uh, I will definitely talk to you soon. Sounds good. You do the same, and uh, I think I'm going to be – Finding myself um, sprinkling in a lot more sabotage over the next couple of weeks. And it's funny because I haven't even started listening to Trans-Siberian Orchestra (laughs) yet. And Christmas is uh, is, uh, just a few weeks away. Um, So maybe I'll have to mix it up a little TSO, a little sabotage, a little uh, (laughs) Alwady, a little bit of of everything. And uh, by the way, if you haven't, Check out the Kirsten Grohl Hanukkah sessions on YouTube. Um, just absolute fire from Dave Grohl. And um, I'm not sure what uh, Kirsten's first name is. I'm not really even. Yeah, Greg Kirsten. Um, him, him and Dave Grohl just do these these covers. And the first one they did for 2021 is it's a must it's just a must watch and listen watch the video of lisa Loeb's stay um dave Grohl wears a dress that's i'm just gonna leave it at that i think that sums it up beautifully um you sent it to me and um dave Grohl wears a dress and with that we'll catch you next week have a good one everyone uh stay safe and we'll talk to you soon uh when we come back with some elevating enjoy have a good one Hey there.